Well, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast today. This is episode number 324, and our guest is one of you, a listener of this show, and his name is Jared. He's from Missouri, and he went on an elk hunt solo with his bow and got it done with a great bull on public land. One of the most common questions we get has to do with newer hunters, or at least guys that are new to hunting elk out west, if they can do it solo, if they can do it on their own, and what they should know to make it happen. So we discuss a lot of that in Jared's story today. We talk about his background, his experience, what he did right, what he did wrong, what he learned along the way. We get into topics that include not only the hunting aspects, but after the kill, he dealt with high temperatures and getting that meat out and taken care of. There's just so much in this conversation that I know that you can learn from and be entertained by. So thanks for tuning in. Before we dive into the show, I just want to remind you guys that you can find all previous episodes at exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. There you can see all previous episodes by category. You can enter search terms and much more. So if you're looking for a certain topic, go over there and it may be something we've covered in the past. That said, even if it is a topic we have discussed but you want to hear more about, as always, feel free to send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and let us know what you want to hear on this show. All right, guys, let's dive right into this conversation with Jared. Well, Jared, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast today. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Steve, you happen to uh, have two awesome Missouri guys on the podcast today, so you're a pretty yeah. fortunate man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should be uh, excited. Love to hear, love these listener stories and just get, you know, other people's perspectives and yeah, excited to sit down here with you, Jared. Yeah, me too. I've listened to a lot of listener stories, so it's, uh, it's exciting for me to be on one. Yeah, cool. Well, as I said, you're from Missouri, but anything else you want to share? Just kind of background context to let listeners get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like you said, um, born and raised, grew up in Missouri. I'm still living here. Uh, basically grew up, um, you know, hunting whitetail and turkey, um, just like everybody else does from the Midwest. Um, you know, whitetail's king. Um, but yeah, um, been living here for 36 years now and uh, I guess 2020 was the first year I really started dabbling and, and looking around about, uh, branching out and going out and hunting different areas and stuff like that for big game. Um, with the exception of hunting, uh, hogs, I've killed a few hogs in Texas and Louisiana and stuff like that. But, um, was that, uh, COVID related? Like during 2020, you're just kind of like, man, I better, um, get out and do no, stuff time on your so, hands or something you've been wanting to do for a long time and just finally did it. Yeah, it's something I want to do for a long time. So I can step, take a step back a little bit. Um, I don't remember what year it was, but me and my wife went to Alaska. Um, her uncle lives up there, and we went up there for a archery bear hunt, black bear hunt. Um, he lives in Anchorage, and we went up there for two weeks, and um, that kind of opened my eyes. I mean, that place is just mm. beautiful. Yeah. And uh, so after that, you know, it was always in the back of my mind to 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 you know you know obviously going to Alaska, the logistics is a little bit harder to do. You know, every year. So, um, you know, to be honest with you, <clears throat> I started to uh, listen to some podcasts like your guys's and stuff like that um, was one of the first ones I listened to. And, 
just listening to and, and what, you know, watching on YouTube and, and all that stuff and just seeing how not quote unquote easy it was, but how normal, you know, uh, guys, just blue collar guys like myself were going out there and successful or not, they were going out there and doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that piqued my interest and, uh, I had no idea what I was doing or where to look. And luckily I had a couple friends that, uh, had been out West before, um, or I knew somebody that had been out and they kind of pointed me in the right direction. And that, at that time, that direction was, you know, uh, Colorado. Early on, like you have this desire to go do it from the Alaska trip and that's kind of brewing. It leads you to 2020, you decide to commit. But one, one thing that's part of the story, and I'm sure we'll kind of dive into this throughout, but tell us about being solo. And did you even attempt to try and find like a buddy to go with, or did you just commit to, I'm going no matter what, even if I'm going by myself, because as I mentioned to you, it's one of the things we get questions about constantly from listeners of the podcast of guys who don't live in the West. They want to maybe take their first elk hunting trip or something like that. And they can't find a buddy to go with. They think they can't go by themselves. Um, but I mean, you've done that now. So <laughs> what was that like for you just in that kind of planning and commitment stage of considering going solo? Um, yeah, so that was definitely a, that was definitely a big, uh, big thing weighing on me. Um, especially, you know, um, never even being out there before. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I did ask around and I, and I almost, you know, in, in 2020, I almost didn't go, um, just because of that reason, just because I thought maybe, maybe it's just, you know, I can wait till next year and it's not safe and, and everything else, you know, and of course I had people weighing in saying the same thing, you know, but, um, on the other hand, um, you know, I'm really self-sufficient. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those kind of guys that, <clears throat> you know, if you tell me I can't do it, you know, I, I, I just kind of laugh and, and do it anyways. But, um, so I just thought, you know, um, I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to pull the bandaid off and just go up there and do it. And, um, whatever happens, happens. Even if I go up there and turn around and come right back. Right. Um, so to me, it was a, uh, a, a no brainer and the investment was, was nothing at all to invest in the tag and, and the fuel. And at that time I didn't have anything for gear. Um, but, um, I just decided that if, if I wasn't going to start doing it now, then it was going to be the next year and the next year. And there's always going to be an excuse of why not to go on why I couldn't go. And, um, I just decided that to go up there and, and get that first trip, you know, done, which I had you know every intention of going up there and seeing elk and, and getting an elk and, and everything else. I didn't go up there thinking, well, I'm going to go up there just because I, you know, to say I did. So, um, but yeah, that first year, um, in 2020, I went up there <clears throat> and, uh, just like everybody says, um, you immediately get up there and you realize that the country is just way, way bigger than what you think. Um, so that was intimidating at first, but, um, you know, after the first day of kind of hiking around, um, um, you know, kind of getting acclimated to everything and realizing what I was capable of and what I wasn't, um, it was, you know, it was nothing to me. I wasn't that intimidated anymore. Um, so I just started basically, as they say, bow hiking (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, yeah, walking around. Um, it was, I think that year, yes. Yeah. I went up that year. It was the, uh, during the muzzleloader season. So, um, you know, it was kind of later, I guess the muzzleloader season started around the 11th or 12th that year, something like that. Um, so there was a few people out, but I didn't see very many hunters. I seen mostly just backpackers, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't get very far off, off the beaten path that first year. Um, 
you know, just for that reason too, in the back of my mind by myself. And the only person really knew where I was at was my wife. And, and so, um, if I'm piecing dates together, right. Cause we were talking prior, how your son just turned one, your wife would have been pregnant at this time. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. She was <clears throat> at that time. She'd have been, yeah. Seven months pregnant. Yeah. So yeah. that was another thing too. That was a, uh, you know, as I had to go at a certain time uh, to get back for, um, I'm sure you guys heard of them. I don't know. It's a Midwest thing, but they have what they're called diaper parties. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, I had one of those and then, you know, my wife's baby shower and all that stuff. So um, we had a lot of stuff going on, but we had made sure prior, you know, before I even uh, got the tag and everything, we had set aside dates to make sure it would work um, for, for family, first of all, and then for my work and stuff like that. And it all kind of fell into place. So did you have to do aside from the pregnancy, like that's just a, an added, uh, call it complexity (laughs) to this issue. But, you know, again, we hear from guys who like they're entertaining the idea of going solo, but they can't really get their family on board. (laughs) So did you have to talk your kind of wife into it or do anything specific to reassure her? What did that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we had sat down a couple of nights and I had just started learning how to do, you know, like e-scouting and stuff like that. Um, you know, which I'm still learning how to do, but, um, <clears throat> we started getting on Google earth and I started showing her some of the country and she's like, yeah, you're not going in there. Yeah. You're not going in there. And so like there was, <laughs> you know, a bunch of areas and, and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and so we had, we had kind of come to a, a somewhat mutual agreement that was like, okay, well, I'm going to go out there. You know, I knew there was, you know, a ton of elk out, you know, out West everywhere. Um, and uh, I'm just going to make the best of it, but I'm going to make sure that I can stay in contact every day, um, no matter what. So, um, you know, I did invest on it, it uh, that year in an in-reach just to be safe, but I didn't need it the whole time. So um, that was one of the stipulations of going out there is that, that you know, I'll stay out of the big country, the big wilderness areas and um, stay low and, and, and make sure that I was in contact with her every day. So, gotcha. so you were just looking at like where cell phone coverage was basically? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, you know, uh, not really the major trailheads and stuff like that, but something that, you know, I could hunt in a day and come back. So okay. I wasn't planning on going up on a mountain. I wanted to, you know, but in hindsight, after I got up there, you know, there's no way I would have been able, you know, I didn't have the right equipment, you know, to stay mm. up on the mountain. So, um, it wouldn't have worked out, but you know, I just basically stayed in a tent on a trailhead every night and, uh, I had service at a couple of them and wherever I was at, I had, I had cell phone service to be able to contact her. Or she could contact me if there's anything going on with her. So, yeah. So many guys feel that they have to turn this into some big backcountry, like massive deep trip. And it sounds like you kind of got your feet wet a little bit on this first trip. Um, yeah. Do you think that was, it's probably not only reassuring to your wife, but honestly, as you said, reassuring to you in terms of you getting out there into an unknown area and realizing you didn't have to be intimidated. And I'm sure that that in turn for your follow-up trip this past fall, you just went into it with a lot more confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. That's 100% exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm so glad I went up there. Um, like I said, you know, and, and, uh, as far as, um, you know, the animals, you know, I, I never even did. Well, I did see elk, but they were on private, but I heard one uh, elk bugle back in an area I walked back to that was, you know, uh, a mile and a half or so from the trailhead. Um, so, you know, and that was just, that, that's the first time I ever heard an elk bugle, you know, so it, that was awesome. And it was one of those, 
um, you know, lazy in the bed Googles and I didn't have anything. I didn't know what to do with it. You know, I never even, I didn't research that far as far as if I hear one, now what do I do? You know? So <laughs> basically I just kind of went towards the bugle when I realized, you know, how, what the wind was doing. And I mean, I blew them out of the Canyon for sure. So that was a learning experience in itself, but it was still, you know, I was still just pumped up just by that one encounter and it wasn't even really an encounter, you know? Um, and I seen a, a ton of black bears in the unit I was in. So that was really neat. I've been around bears before, so I was comfortable around them, but, um, I had picked up a black bear tag when I went up there, but it was for the wrong unit and I didn't even realize it. Oh no. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, that just shows you how new at everything I was, but, um, yeah, I know. And, and, and the areas that I was looking at and, and I was that guy, I'm like, well, I can make it back there. That's only, you know, four or five miles. And I actually drove to a couple of those areas at the trailheads and I just told myself, I'm like, well, there was no way I was going to go back in there, you know, at, at, at the, uh, the shape I was in and everything else. So, um, uh, I was glad that I went up there and seen what it looked like and got boots on the ground. And, um, you know, I, I hiked a lot of miles, you know, um, but it was just one of those things where you got to see it, kind of realize what's going on. And, and, and the whole time on the way home, I thought, man, he's got him for next year is going to be easy. Cause I know exactly what everything looks like, you know, like, um, that mountain doesn't look near as steep on Google earth until you, until you walk up to it. And it's like twice the size. Um, so that was, that played in big part for, for this year, as far as scouting, pre-scouting. So I think you kind of hinted at several things there where you came out of this first hunt kind of here's what I now know. And here's what I've realized I don't know. Right. So in terms of, uh, I think you mentioned fitness in there, you mentioned an elk bugling, but you didn't know what to do. Like there's all these things that you've taken away from this first hunt. And I would imagine then, all right, you're thinking, all right, well, if I'm coming back, here's what I need to focus on. Here's what I need to change. Here's what I need to figure out. So, um, talk through that a little bit. Like, what did you learn from the first hunt? How did that kind of fuel your plan for wanting to do it again and, and be more effective and efficient with it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so one of the biggest things was, um, when I first got up there, uh, well, a couple of big things. Number one was definitely, uh, what was fitness, you know, um, uh, was rambunctious and uh, took off up the mountain and just realized that I was not in the best shape to be going at the speed I was going. So, um, <laughs> so I, that, that was in the back of my mind from the get go is that, Hey, if I'm going to keep doing this, I need to, I need to get some better lungs, you know, and get in a little better shape. Um, the second thing was gear. So I had purchased uh, an XO 48 from you guys, 4,800. And um, I don't know how much that back weighed, but it was probably 50 pounds. I don't know. I don't even know what was in it. Uh, it was just way, way, I had it way overpacked, you know, I had my bladder completely full of water and, you know, it was just, um, it was way too much. That first night I'd come back to the truck and I dumped half of it on the ground. You know I mean? It was, it was just way too much stuff. Um, but I invested in the pack and I invested in a good pair of quality boots. Um, and the boots played a huge part. Um, you know, I did a lot of walking. That was one of the only things that, um, that first year that, that I invested in, um, besides the pack that was, I mean, fail proof. Like that was, that was, it was perfect. So, um, what boots in the back of that I got, uh, crispy, uh, summits. Okay. BTs. Nice. Yeah. And those, you know, the, the only reason why I got those is from doing research, you know, from different uh, podcasts and, and videos and stuff I watched. And, um, you know, I, I just, they just, they were really, really <clears throat> high quality boot and had great reviews. So, um, I spent the money and got a good pair of boots. So, um, that's one thing I've always heard is that, you know, you got to take care of your feet up there. That's one of the things that'll get you off the mountain faster than anything. So, 
Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's only a mile from the truck, you know, I mean, it doesn't take long to start getting hot spots in your feet and stuff like that. If you got a, uh, you know, a pair of boots that don't fit your rider or aren't made for the terrain you're on. So, but yeah, <clears throat> so, and those, I, I still run those. And like I said, this year, um, we're, we're flawless, but so, um, the takeaways I got from that trip were, were the, the, the gear for sure. Um, the, some of the stuff that I needed, some of the stuff I didn't, um, you know, I really narrowed that down really quick. Like I said, within the first day, you know, um, to, uh, another thing was too, is to, um, venture off of the, you know, the main trails. So hmm. uh, one of the only reasons why I heard that elk bugle that I did hear is I got back in this little bowl and it was only maybe, um, I don't know, maybe four or 500 yards off the trail, but it was far enough, across a Creek far enough to where, you know, um, if you're right by the trail, you wouldn't be able to hear it because, because of the Creek running, you know? Um, so I just walked up the mountain and did a couple cow calls the best I knew how to do at the time. And that's, you know, I heard him bugle. So, um, so that, that was another thing that I, I took away from it because, <clears throat> you know, I could see, almost see the trail from where I was at, you know, and I saw people all day long hiking and they, they would have never heard that elk back there. They never know he was back there. So, um, that was another thing. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> the timing. So, um, the time of the year. So I went up there, um, based off of what, when I thought the elk were going to be running, you know, um, which was kind of against what I do for whitetail hunting. When I whitetail hunt, I really, really, really like hunting that pre-rut stage. Um, you know, before they're really rutting heavy, it seems like I see more deer. I see bigger deer. Um, and I, I wish that I would have went back and, and kind of based my trip on that. And then I would have missed the uh, muzzleloader season two as well. Um, so that was in the back of my mind on, on the way home, you know, from the trip in 2022 as I thought, well, next year I'm going to go up a little earlier and uh and blend that into the very beginning of muzzler season but i wanted to be up there that week before with less people and um try to see if i can get in some of that that pre-rut stuff you know too so mm-hmm. that's cool the fitness piece what did you do there um was it just kind of you wanted to drop some weight and kind of get more cardio in it sounds yeah. like you mentioned lungs <clears throat> yeah yeah so uh, that was a goal of mine. So, um, the job I had at the time, well, like I said, I was basically, I'm, uh, behind a desk. So, um, you know, I didn't get much, you know, workout in during the day. So I invested and ended up buying, um, a really nice weight set and stuff like that for, for cheap from a buddy of mine and, um, a treadmill and we had built a house in, in 2019. So I had a basement, you know, I could, you know, I never had that before, so I could put everything in. So, um, I invested a lot in fitness stuff, you know, which I consider that investment just in me, you know, I mean, just yeah. not only to go, you know, to be able to go out and hunt these things, but just to be able to be in just better shape day to day, you know? So, um, I started a, a, a workout routine, um, and, uh, you know, basically from <clears throat> October, or November last year, I, I got all that stuff. I think we might've got the treadmill after the first of the year, but, um, I would make it a point to work out at least three or four times a week, you know, in the morning or afternoon or whatever I could, um, every, every, every week, no matter what. And, and, uh, it got to the point where whenever I, I would look forward to it and whenever I didn't do it, I was feeling guilty. So it got to be a, a part of life, you know? So, um, yeah. and I wasn't trying to get, you know, uh, 
you know, bigger buff or, or lose this amount of pounds, blah, blah, blah. I was just trying to get in better shape than what I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the big things was, was my lung capacity, you know, just being able to walk up a flight of stairs without getting out of breath, you know, um, <clears throat> and you get up in the mountains, you know, you don't realize it, but, um, uh, it doesn't take long and you're heaving and hoeing, you know, and, and most guys, it takes them an hour to get to the spots taking you, you know, two hours just because you're stopping every two minutes to catch your breath. And I just wanted to be able to just be able to navigate the mountains efficiently and, uh, and, and safely. So, um, yeah, that was the biggest thing. And then, and then eating healthier. And, um, and this year I had planned on actually going back and, and, and uh, uh, to an area and staying out there. So I, you know, um, meal prepping and stuff like that and, and testing different uh, dehydrated meals and everything like that. That was another big part of it too, as far as the diet stuff to make sure that my body wasn't going to do anything weird. And um, when I was back there, um, you know, like I said, I was planning on going back and camping back there. It just didn't happen. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that <laughs> for, for a good reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was going to ask about that. The, just the difference of his, as you said, this first trip, you're staying near self-service, staying near the truck and back to the truck. Um, I was going to ask what was the plan going into the second year, which was just this past fall of 2021. Um, and if you're kind of going to backpack in, it sounds like you were, um, any other things about leading up to this hunt this past fall that were notably different, um, from your first trip that we haven't covered already just in terms Um, of your planning or approach. Yeah. So, um, Well, at this point in time, I really knew what was going on as far as the draw game, you know, the draw system for all these Western states, you know, I did a ton of research on that. Um, You know, everybody um, that you talk to that goes to Colorado, they go there just because it's such an easy state to go to because you can pick up tags over the counter. But um, what I realized really quick is there's a lot of other states you can go to um, that you can pick up some really quality tags with only one or two points, you know, so um I started putting in it and getting more interest in the draws. And, uh, and this year, um, we actually could have gotten into a, a draw only unit. Um, but it just didn't work out with timing. Cause, and I, by I say we, I say me and my wife, um, we hunt together and, and she really wants to go with me. It just didn't, it just wasn't her card to go this year as well. So, um, but leading up to that, I did a lot of research. We actually went out, uh, to Wyoming in the spring, um, I'll say we went bear hunting, but we took my, at that time, six month old. So, um, basically we just drove around the truck. <laughs> there just wasn't much we could do with them up there. But w- one of the reasons why I picked that area is to scout it for elk as well. Um, <clears throat> so, um, this year leading up to it, um, a lot of research in different Western states and not just Colorado, not just over the counter stuff like that. And then the, uh, I really, really dove deep into the calling. So, um, I, you know, I pride myself on being able to call a turkey in anywhere, you know, so that's what I've been doing my whole life is I've been calling turkeys in with diaphragms. So, um, I've always heard that hunting elk is kind of like hunting turkeys. So, um, I thought, well, I can, you know, I can, I can call a turkey in anywhere. I've, I, <laughs> I no doubt in my mind. So I thought if I get that mindset with elk, you know, it'll, it'll help me a lot. Um, in the next year when I go up and I got that elk in his bed with that lazy bugle, instead of just kind of doing circles, you know, I'll be able to dissect it and be able to know exactly how to call them off the mountain. So, um, I did a lot of research on that. Um, listened to a lot of your guys podcasts with the elk nut, um, stuff like that. Um, just guys that know, uh, you know, know what they're doing. They're not just, 
uh, you know, bugling and, and, and calling and bugling and calling. They're, ta- they're actually talking to the elk. So that's what I want to do. I want to know how to, how to talk to them. Um, so practice, practice, practice. And uh, um, I say I've gotten a lot better. I think I sound a lot better. And, and uh, uh, <laughs> But, you know, I don't know. I've never had anybody that, I, that around me that knows what to listen to either. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, Is there anything that uh, stands out? being a turkey guy and being used to a diaphragm that was quite a bit different than uh, when trying to call elk with the diaphragm? I, you know, I'll be honest with you, man, they're, they're, they're really, really similar. Uh, it, I guess the only really thing that, that stands out uh, is just the, this, the, the pitchness of it, you know, this, that high pitch of it. But um, uh, I mean, really, you know, um, if you break it down and, and you, you know, if you, if you, if you can, if you can, I'm trying to how to explain this, you know, cause like if I wanted to go hunt early season, pre-rut, you know, um, if there's, if there's, if you're turkey hunting and turkeys aren't gobbling, you know, it only takes one turkey to start gobbling and the rest of them start gobbling. If you can figure out how to get that one to do it. And, uh, sometimes it's not just going out there with a few yelps and clucks and, you know, and, uh, you know, you really got to mimic up, uh, you know, a breeding situation. And, and when I broke it down, elk were the exact same way, you know, um, you know, they could be, they could be dead silent. And if you could, if you could be off the mountain and if you can make them believe that there was some kind of breeding situation going on, you could get some, some of them to respond. So, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I mean, a lot of my turkey hunting skills went into my, my elk calling uh, skills too, um, as far as learning wise, you know, um, so I've been using a diaphragm turkey call since I've been old enough to put one in my mouth, you know, 10, nine, 10 years old. So. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So yeah, lead us into, uh, as we'll hear, it ends up being a pretty quick hunt, but lead us into yeah. this, this past fall and your hunt. And, uh, I know you didn't necessarily want to go solo again, but kind of needed to. So maybe kick us off with, with that of why were you headed in solo again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like I said earlier, we were looking at some different States for some draw only stuff. Um, and we did have, uh, enough points <clears throat> in Colorado to draw, you know, uh, uh, a draw only uh, unit, but it wasn't over the counter unit. So we just figured, you know, less pressure, but, and like I said before, we, by me and my wife, um, but, um, when it come down to it, um, my wife was getting ready to switch jobs. Um, you know, I had told her that if we go up there and we try to kill, um, a couple elk that we're going to be up there for, you know, a, a while. So, um, she wasn't ready to leave our, our son that long just yet, which totally understandable. <laughs> Um, so, um, we had decided that, you know, probably that the draw only and, and going wasn't going to happen. And that if anything, if things work out, she could go with me and we could go do an over the counter. So I already planned on early, um, just buying the points in the different States and just plan on going over the counter. Um, at that time I really wasn't planning on going solo, but, um, as the summer went on and things, you know, started moving, um, is getting closer and closer. Um, like I said before, I do got a couple friends that, that elk hunt, but one of them had drew a general in, in Wyoming. It had a big, you know, two week trip going on up there. Um, and then another one, um, was going to an OTC in Colorado, but going way later than what I had planned. Um, so I just said, well, I'm just going to do it again, you know, just go solo. So I, di- I didn't want to miss a year. Um, even if I could only get a cow only tag somewhere, I wanted, I, I made up my mind after the hunt in 2020 that I was going to, 
as long as I you know, could afford it and as long as my family was okay with it, I was going to hunt elk every year. So <clears throat> that's what happened. So, you know, I picked up an over, over the counter tag and stopped in, uh, on the way there and picked it up and headed out to a unit. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so going into this one, you were mentioned you were going to pack in, uh, and obviously you had said you learned some lessons on what not to have in the pack. Yeah. Um, do you have an idea of what, what your pack was weighing going into the start of this trip? Yeah. So this time, um, that's another thing too, is that I should have said is that the gear, um, you know, uh, minus the pack and boots, which I knew were, uh, bomb proof from, from the year before, but, um, that was really the only thing I did, uh, tweak. So gear wise, um, I invested in a really nice, um, lightweight tent, um, sleeping bag, stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in buy once, cry once, just invest in it and, and make sure it's right and, and, and go with it. <clears throat> so I wanted some lighter stuff, but I, I'm, you know, I've never really, I'm, I'm not going to be that guy that's going to count ounces either, you know? So, um, but I knew exactly what I needed and what I didn't need as far as, uh, gear wise to be able to stay out there for a couple of days and, and do it safely. Um, so I would, I didn't weigh my pack but I want to say it's probably in the mid thirties, 35 pounds, something like that. It wasn't much at all. Yeah. And that, what was your plan? How many days were you planning on heading in for? Well, I was, the area that I picked out through e-scouting, I was going to make up basically a, a big loop um, and be out there for three days Perfect. and then come, come back. Unless that first day, for some reason, if I didn't go out there and I just ran into, and it was just a barren, I mean, no sign at all. Then I had another alternate route to come back stay that night, come back the next day to the truck and go to area B or C or whatever. Um, but I was pretty confident I was going to get in some elk just because of the ground I was going to cover or at least some, some sign, you know? Yeah. Um, but then, then I was going to come back. And then after those three days, if I was unsuccessful or didn't have very many encounters, um, either move to a new area or if I'd seen elk and thought maybe I could get back into some, you know, um, just by learning boots on the ground, go back into that same spot. Um, there's a lot of variables, you know, people, you know, weather, everything. Um, Steve, he had a solid plan. Yeah, I know. I was, I was curious, what gave you confidence uh, that you're going to get into elk in that first spot? Did you have intel on the unit or was it just no. like past experience? Like, you know what? I'm just going to get into elk. Yeah. So um, the e-scouting, um, that's, that, that, that was huge for me. Um, I've, got a, I've got a knack for it now. I don't, I don't know why, but um, – I, I really can pick stuff out. So, um, I didn't know, you know, uh, just from whitetail hunting for so long, I know whitetail like certain, uh, you know, certain areas and, and stuff like that where they bed and they move through and elk are kind of the same, you know, but <clears throat> elk are constantly on the move is the only problem. But, um, I just, I found some areas that, that had every single thing you look for. Um, you know, there, there was no reason for elk not to be there. Um, so I just kept, you know, and it's just every time, you know, you get sitting on my computer, I would get excited. You know, I'm like, oh man, there's, there's probably elk laying there right now as I'm looking, you know, it's just, <laughs> and, and there was just, you know, in a, in a, in a, the big radius that I was going, there was only two or three of those spots, but those were just like prime spots, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, from what I could tell, uh, yeah. you know, he's got, um, yeah. When you say that, I, cause I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of listeners trying to understand what you're saying when you say you're looking at this big radius and there's these two or three spots that has everything they need and there's every reason for elk to be there in your mind, when you say those two or three spots, how big are those areas? Are they just like these little pockets? Um, like what, help us understand what you're talking about there. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically they're little pockets. So pockets, um, you know, I'm trying to think in the back of my mind, I'm trying to look. So like, I'd say, you know, do it, they'll do it acre wise. So like maybe one or two acre pockets, you know, that -hmm. have just got the the benches are really nice shaded bench on a North slope. Um, you know, and on Google earth, you can really tell, um, I mean, here recently, especially, but you can tell what's green and what's not green. Um, there's water. I mean, there's, there's, there's a, a big saddle, um, you know, just all these, all these different, um, you know, identifiers of, of the way they help travel, the way they bed, the way they feed, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're constantly drinking water. We know that, you know, I mean, it was just everything just aligned up in this one area, you know, and <clears throat> I made it where I would only do one mile radiuses in that area. So, it, you know, if, if I pinpointed a, a spot that had everything I needed, I would cover a one mile radius, you know? Um, so, you know, you can go on there and you can draw a circle out, you know, and then that, that spot right there, I was going to make sure I covered all of that ground because, you know, there's little benches and stuff like that. Sometimes you can't see on Google earth that are in that area. They got all, all the other stuff. You could only be, uh, you know, a few hundred yards below it. Um, but, um, and not even know that there's elk bedded up there, elk sign up there. So I just wanted to make sure I wanted to, I wanted to play the wind and go through those areas and really with a fine tooth comb because they just look too good on Google earth for, for animals not to be in there. Um, so that's what I did. I would find a center zone a mile out. That's a spot I want to check out, move down a mountain. That's a spot I want to check out and so on and so forth. Okay. So that, that radius from the, the central point of interest, you said you want to cover the area. Are you trying to cover the perimeter of that are you trying to work through it in any specific fashion or you mentioned obviously having the wind in your favor but in terms of not just going to quote unquote the middle of the circle or just getting to one edge of it how are you actually covering that that kind of whole radius you're talking about yeah so depending on how steep the country is i mean you don't want to be walking up and down the mountain a million times because you'll just you know you'll just you'll be gassed but um yeah. So the areas that I picked out, I wanted to make sure, you know, for example, that morning I walked in, um, I stayed below it, um, <clears throat> wanted to walk in. I wanted to try to catch, um, from, from my e-scouting and see if I could catch any trails or anything from them coming up from feeding it, you know, up the mountain at night. And if I hit a trail, um, or any kind of fresh sign, I would just basically follow that sign up into that area. Um, if I didn't hit anything, I would mark it and I would make sure to come back to that, um, either later in the morning, um, or, or even just, you know, stop and, and, and eat some breakfast and wait for the wind to go right and move up to the next bench and then just slowly methodically kind of work my way through it. Like I said, depending on the terrain, if it was really, really steep, then, um, it would be a little different story. You know, I wouldn't want to go up and down and, and stuff like that. But, um, from what my research told me that if there was elk moving in or out of it, I would, I should be able to, to come across that sign at one point or time or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, you know, in the center of it or at the bottom of it just kind of depends on, on, on where your starting point is. You know, um, I always tried to stay below the benches in the mornings, you know, and, and I would try to see if I could catch where they were coming up. I like it. You talking about sign and you being, you know, a newer elk hunter, how are you gauging sign in terms of, is this fresh? Is this old? How old is this relevant? Is it not relevant in terms of maybe, uh, the time of year that I'm here compared to potentially when this sign was created. Um, yeah. Help us think through that, what your experience was there. Um, so the biggest thing that I took away from the, uh, 
2020 into 21 is, is all my research is, is um, the fresh sign is to look for the, you know, the, the scat, the droppings, right. Um, it's, I mean, uh, uh, rubs and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, if they're really, really fresh, you can tell, you know, I mean, they're, they're still wet, but still, I mean, it's maybe even with a day, but like the droppings and the tracks, I mean, you can really tell if it's really fresh elk poop. I mean, like it's, you know, you can tell immediately, like it was done within an hour or two. Right. Um, so that's what I was looking for more than anything, because, um, you know, as a whitetail hunter, that's something you overlook, you know, <clears throat> everywhere I go in the Midwest, I look down and I see deer poop, you know, so I didn't even think twice about, it. you know, I knew there's deer there. Right. But with elk, the way they move, you know, if they're moving through an area, um, you know, you could get, you know, some, some droppings and some tracks and stuff like that, that look really fresh, but they're a day or two though, day or two old and those elk are long gone. Um, so that's one thing I really, really looked hard for. Um, is, is, you know, the fresh droppings to be, you know, specific. And I was, I went up there early. So that's another thing too, is I went up there on, on the 6th of September. Um, so I wasn't looking for too much rut and sign as far as, you know, rubs and stuff like that anyways. Um, so basically I was just trying to cut, you know, fresh tracks, trails, um, anything that would lead me to where they were bedding at. And uh, I was using the game trails to navigate the mountain, um, and there were some cattle back there. So that kind of made things a little bit difficult, but the area I was going to was <clears throat> that I planned on going to and, and, and stopping and camping and making a big loop through had no cattle in it. So, um, you know, I, I was just kind of making my way across, just looking for any kind of fresh tracks and, and droppings I could find. So how's the, how's the hunt unfolding? You got boots on the ground, packing in, uh, kind of give us the play by play. <clears throat> so, well, the, to take a step back, the first night I get up there, um, I had four or five areas picked out to, to start at starting point. And none of them were better than the other. So I didn't really have a, Oh, this is my number one. This is my number two. They were all good areas. Um, I just, I didn't know what the access was going to be like. So <clears throat> the first evening where I plan on going, there was just people everywhere. Um, I couldn't even find a place to park my truck on the side of the road to sleep. And I had drove straight through, um, that day. Um, so I, I came back off the mountain I drove all the way around the mountain. Um, which was about an hour and a half and uh, went to another spot and uh, where I thought I could park my truck, there was a switchback and I couldn't get up it with my truck. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back down, um, you know, and it still didn't, you know, I, I still wasn't phased by it cause I still had several other areas I wanted to go to. I just thought, well, I just need to find a place to park, sleep in the back of my truck and get up in the morning and go. So <clears throat> next morning I got up um, I went to one of my other areas that I already had, you know, already had picked out long before, which that was really reassuring, um, having all those areas and not just being sitting there, just not knowing where to go. So that's another thing with e-scouting, <clears throat> but, uh, ended up driving up the mountain. The road was really, really rough. Um, it took me right at an hour to get up to where, you know, the quote unquote trailhead was basically it was a glorified cattle path. But, um, when I got up there, there was nobody else there, which, was reassuring, but I also thought, well, you know, <laughs> that could be a bad sign too. So I get up there, park the truck, and uh, I already had my pack and everything loaded up just to throw on and go. Um, it was already getting daylight. I didn't want to waste any time. So um, get everything I needed and, and, and head off. And I didn't, I only brought just one Nalgene uh, bottle with water with me this time because uh, the way it looked, there was plenty of water, which there ended up being. So <clears throat> um, took off off the mountain. Um, ended up walking about, 
a mile and a half on the main trail. And then I went ahead and uh, I was getting close to one of my spots I wanted to check out. And I went ahead and dropped down the mountain and started side hill and across and uh, was right at about 9,500, 9,600 feet. <clears throat> um, so started going across the mountain. Um, by this time, it was probably 930, 10 o'clock, something like that. And I had looked and I had already had gone about three and a half miles, something like that, almost four. So I stopped and on this whole time I'm, I'm, I'm going across the mountain. I'm looking for sign. I'm not seeing much, but um, there's nobody back there. I mean, there, I didn't see any signs of people. I didn't hear any people. Um, there was just nothing. It was just me. And there were some, you know, some of them range cattle here and there, but um, uh, the country looked really, really good. Um, and uh, I stopped to eat some breakfast and have some coffee and, um, I wasn't really doing any bugling. I was just more every now and then just kind of doing a, a faint cow call here and there um, just because I just didn't want uh, everybody and all the animals to know exactly where I was at this time. So every now and then I stopped, do a couple cow calls, listen, um, stuff like that. So after I got done with that, um, I kept on going across the mountain. Like I said, I'm not on any kind of trail or anything. I'm just uh, side hill across Um and I got into one of my areas that was, it was about oh, just a little under five miles. Um, and this was to the point where I was going to stop and try to find a place to um, set up camp. And then that was going to be, you know, the, my, basically my, my spike camp. And from there I was going to hunt and, you know, to my different areas throughout the next day or two or three or however long. So I was within, you know, a quarter mile of that spot. And I'm like, okay, well, there's this one spot I want to go through and, uh, and check, but it was, it was one of the spots that looked good on the maps, but it wasn't one of my better ones. And, uh, as I'm going below this bench, I heard a bunch of animals bust up. And at first I thought it was the cattle. Cause you know, you know how those range cattle are. They're, they're spooky, just like deer or elk, you know, you can't get close to them. They bust out through the woods. And so I just kind of let everything calm down a little bit. And the more I just kept thinking, I'm like, man, it just, that didn't sound like cattle. You know, it sounded like, it sounded like, it sounded like, elk. so I kind of went up on this bench to where I thought I heard it. And, uh, I looked down and immediately picked up a bed, uh, a couple beds and then some really fresh uh, poop and I could smell them. You know, I could smell that there was elk there. So I thought, okay, you know, I know they're, I know they're here, right. They're bedded here. So I kind of started looking around. I picked up this trail that was cutting up the mountain and, uh, you know, there was some, you know, the grass was probably shin high and they had it beat down pretty good. And I started looking on my Onyx maps and, and kind of seeing, you know, where I thought it was going and where it was coming from. And it was just a perfect scenario of it was heading straight up to this big bench, really, really dark, dark, thick, thick timber. And down below me was um, uh, a, a really big meadow, a, a, a creek that ran. I mean, it was just a perfect scenario of them coming off the mountain at night and going up to feed. So I thought, well, I'm just going to, and the wind at this time was switching, but it was blowing in my face across the mountain. So I thought that uh, I'll just go ahead and run up this trail or follow this trail up and just kind of see if I can pick up more fresh sign. Um, so that's what I did. Started going up the mountain, following the trail. <clears throat> I noticed that there were some smaller tracks and cow and uh, calf tracks. I noticed some bigger tracks. And from what I've done my research on, they look like bull tracks, but wasn't 100% sure. I just knew they were really fresh, like within that morning. Um, some of the scat that I was finding was still, I mean, just, I mean, like within an hour or two. So that was pretty exciting. I knew I was in the right area. 
So I was cow calling, cow calling. Um, and I get up to a spot. Um, it's, like I said, it's really thick. I couldn't see uh, more than 20 yards in front of me. And uh, there wasn't much deadfall and stuff like that. It was just really, really thick timber. Um, so I get up to a spot and it kind of opens up. And then there was a little bench above it. And then it dropped down and another little bench and it dropped down. And then and that's where I was standing. And I thought, man, that's this is be a good spot to where if I was going to see an elk, you know, um, if I called one in, this would be a great, a great setup spot. So I kind of stood there and I did a couple cow calls. Um, and then I, I got a little louder and then I, and then I cow called through my bugle tube, got, you know, a little bit louder, just kind of see, didn't hear nothing, didn't see nothing. And I waited maybe 30, 35 seconds and, uh, you know, I hear that infamous pop, you know, of the deadfall. So, <clears throat> Oh, and right before that, uh, sorry, but right before that, when I was cow calling, I called on a big old boar, black bear. Um, he walked within 20 yards of me and didn't have a bear tag or nothing like that. But he seen me and just turned around and left and, and I just kept on going. So, um, but I knew it wasn't him. Uh, them, them bears, they move through the uh, uh, forest so quietly, you know, the predators. So they don't hardly make any noise. So I knew it was something coming down the mountain. Um, so I didn't have an arrow knocked or anything. I'm just standing there with my pack on. Um, and I look up. And that first little bench, I seen the back of something coming down the mountain. So at this point in time, you know, I'm out here and I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm way back in here. I, you know, if I see a cow, I'm going to kill it. Absolutely. You know, I'm here to elk hunt, you know, I'm here to, for the experience. If I see a cow, I'm going to kill it. So, um, I get an arrow off and as I'm getting an arrow off my quiver, I look up and I, I see tines coming. So, um, then I start getting really excited, you know, of course, <laughs> but where I'm standing at, um, the, the way that the trail is going up, it looks like he's coming right down that trail, um, which means he's coming right at me. So like, okay. So I took one step to the left. He kind of goes behind some brush and, um, I'm not sure where I heard it at. It might've been from Paul Modell, but the, the doorway, uh, whenever you look and you know, you look through a patch, you can just see where they're going to stop and they're going to look down or look up or wherever, you know? Cause I mean, he knew where I was at. I told him right where I was at. So he was coming to check me out. Um, so I took a step to where if you, if you turned and looked at me, I could get a broadside shot. Hmm. Um, so I got an arrow knocked and within, you know, a couple seconds, here he comes and uh, he comes in that doorway and he stops. And at this point he's, I think he was like 10 or 11 yards. Um, and he looks beyond me, you know, he doesn't see me standing there, but he looks down the mountain beyond me, but he's looking like right through me. He turns and faces directly toward me. Um, which is not a shot that, you know, I wanted to take, but, um, I did a lot of research on the anatomy of those elk and, and where to put a shot. If I had to put a full frontal shot on one, just in case, um, and I would never take a shot, probably anything past the distance of what I shot him at, which was like 10 or 11 yards. So, um, I had, before he walked out, I had already been drawn back. Um, so at this time he's kind of standing there and I could tell he's alert and he, he's starting to pick up what I am. And I settled, you know, my pin on him and I shot and my arrow just disappeared in him. So he turns, he kind of goes back up a little bit and then he immediately turns and goes barreling back down the mountain and he's running hard. Um, so I could tell, you know, just, just from, from hunting whitetail that he was hurt. You know, he didn't go back up where he came from. He went down, you know, he's going back, going down the mountain. Um, but I didn't move. I didn't do anything. Um, I just stood there I, where I was standing at. I took a picture of my cell phone of where he was standing at. Um, 
just because, like I said, it was so thick that I was afraid if I walked up in there, I wouldn't be able to see exactly, you know, the angle he was at and everything just to make sure. He looked like he was standing right in front at me, but I didn't know he could have been quartered a little bit. It happened so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was confident in the shot. I mean, uh, you know, I watched my arrow where it hit him and it looked like to me, it hit him right in the boil maker, you know, right, right, right dead in in the heart wounds. So, um, I stood there for a minute. I listened. I tried to tried to hear if I could hear him fall. I thought I heard him crashing down the mountain, but you know, those dang cattle, you know, they make so much noise that, well, it could have been them cattle down the mountain too. I, I didn't know. So I just figured I'd just put my pack down, sit down, um, drink some water, eat something and just kind of, you know, collect myself. So, um, <clears throat> Back where I was at, I didn't have any service. I had my injuries with me, but I just figured I'm not going to text anybody. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to jinx myself. <laughs> as far as everybody's concerned, I'm still up here just walking around. So <laughs> um, I waited about 45, 50 minutes, and I decided to get up and at least go see if I could find my arrow um, or find any blood. I didn't know if my arrow was still in them either. So I started walking around, couldn't find any blood. Um and I didn't want to get too far from where he ran off just in case I didn't want to bump him across the mountain. Um, because at this point in time, um, it was getting up to be about 90 degrees. So <clears throat> I just wanted to make sure that if he, if you, you know, if he was wounded, that he was going to, you know, die and I'd be able to get him out of there. So I didn't want to bump him, but started looking around and I could tell, I could see where he had twirled, you know, where he kicked everything up. So I'm like, okay. And then, uh, I looked back on my phone, that picture I took to see where I was standing. And I thought, you know, where he twirled at, I'm like, okay, well, he was kind of quartering, uh, you know, to me just a, a little bit, you know, front on kind of quartering to me a little bit. So I started looking for my arrow and I looked around and it was stuck probably 10 yards behind him at the base of the tree, buried in this tree. And there was blood just dripping off. Of it. And, uh, um, I shoot, uh, hundred grain, um, iron wells. And, uh, that's another investment I made this year too, as far as switching up. Um, I always used rage broadheads for whitetail hunting and they're great for whitetail. Don't get me wrong, but, um, I wanted something a little heavier and I wanted something I know could blast through an elk. And this thing <clears throat> went through it like butter. It was unbelievable. Um, so that was a good sign. You know, the arrow was drenched in blood. Um, it looked like good blood. Um, so I thought, well, I'm gonna go ahead and start trying to track this thing. So I went back down to where the last point I seen him, which is basically just the tips of his of his, of his horns going through the, the brush. It was so thick and, uh, couldn't find any blood, couldn't find any blood. So I'm like, okay. So I just, you know, slowly methodically, I was trying to be really quiet. Like I was stalking, like I was trying not to break a stick or anything and, uh, started slipping down through and, you know, he was running so fast and, you know, I could cut, I could cut his tracks pretty easy, but I wasn't picking up any blood at first, but I remember, um, listening to different people and, and, and watching videos and stuff that sometimes on the full front, full frontals, their that hair on their, on their, you know, on their chest will kind of soak it up for a minute, you know, and it just won't exactly start bleeding right away. So <clears throat> I kept thinking about that. So I got down to probably about, I'd say it was probably 50 yards, um, from where I shot him and I picked up a little drop of blood, um, by little drop, I mean like the size of my thumb. I'm like, okay, well, that looks good. And I took another step and I looked down and I mean, it just, the gates opened up. There was just blood everywhere. Um, and I could just, you know, I picked it up going down the mountain, just another 20 or 30 yards. I mean, he just opened up. So by this time I started getting a little excited (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah, he was heading straight down the mountain. So, um, 
I mean, he just kept going down, down, and down. So I'm like, okay, well, this is <clears throat> not a good situation as far as where he's going, you know, but still, still pretty excited, but I'm not trying, I'm, I'm still, you know, being really slow and methodical. I'm still in my eyes, you know, this animal is still, you know, he, he is not dead until I walk up to him when I find him. So <clears throat> slipping down through and, I mean, there, there's so much, he's bleeding so much. I mean, it was, it was up on the trees. I mean, I was getting it on, on the sides of my arms and stuff, walking through the brush. I mean, it was everywhere. Um, and then I get to uh, kind of a, a, a top of a little knob and then it drops like steep, way steep down and then it benches out. Um, and on the backside of that, I, I looked on my, on my on X and it's, it's just a huge drop off. I mean, it's straight down the mountain. I thought, man, if he goes down that, I'm in trouble. So I started looking and I catch some movement. So I stopped immediately and, and I thought, oh no, you know, and grab my binoculars and I look and it's one of those cows. So a cow is just laying there <clears throat> and I can see its head turning. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't know what to do because that's right where the elk was heading. And I didn't, and I didn't want to bust those cattle out just in case he was laying there, you know, um, somewhere. So I started slipping down the mountain and uh, I looked over and I'm like, there's another cow laying there. So I just kind of kept on going and going and going. Well, a couple of cows got up, took off, you know, made a bunch of noise. They seen me and I kind of seen through the brush. There was still, I could kind of see the, the hind end of this other cow laying there. And I'm like, that's not a cow, it's an elk. <laughs> so there he was, he was laying there. He died right next to these cattle. Um, wow. <laughs> and he died on the most, the flattest spot. I mean, he was leaning up, leaning up against a tree. I mean, it was almost picture perfect. Um, and I stood there for probably five minutes looking through my binoculars and I, I couldn't even believe what just happened. You know, um, so I just stood there and I thought, OK, <laughs> I walked down to this thing and immediately I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, like the, the size of them is just I mean, you know, everybody says that, but you really don't understand yeah. until you get up to him. You know, when I laid my bow, uh, you know, kind of on his hind end. And I mean, it was just he's just huge, you know. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy, you know, and, and I didn't want to be too loud or nothing like that or celebrate. I'm by myself. But, you know, like I'm still in the woods. Right. Um, so. Um, yeah. So he was on the ground, you know, and then, and then the, you know, I mean, I've never had such an adrenal rush in my life. I don't think <laughs> so cool. it was just, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was surreal, you know, and, uh, um, to see him laying there like that, you know, and how everything, everything came together. Um, it was just crazy. Hmm. He he's, you said he was running downhill and that was bad. It was, he run, he, it was an uphill pack out back to the truck. Yeah. <clears throat> so I had a couple different options. Um, uh, from if and for if I did where I was going to plan on putting my my spike camp and where I was planning on hunting, there was another trail at the bottom of, of this basin that if I did kill elk in this area, I could go to that trail. And he was just right in between. I mean, he was mm. it would have it was it was going to be brutal no matter what. Um, mm -hmm. he's just in a really bad area, to, you know, <laughs> to which that's the way it goes, right? Yeah, um. But I'm, I'm glad where he where he expired at couldn't have been better. I mean, it was just that it was just a perfect spot for him to expire. It's just that I knew the first jaunt up the mountain to get even back to where I shot him at was going to be brutal. Um, it was just literally straight up and down. And there was, you know, it, where he was at trying to go side hill wasn't an option. It was just too it was just too thick. Gotcha. Cool. What um, one question, as you mentioned, drawing your bow, I immediately thought, like, I wonder what he changed for his setup uh from whitetail to to elk and you mentioned changing over to iron wheel broadheads what did you up the poundage of your bow go to a heavier aerial a heavier arrow anything like that 
No. And, you know, to be honest, I never really got into that as far as like weighing my arrows and, and doing all that. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't change anything except the broadheads. And um, I had tried some different broadheads throughout the summer, you know, and um, just just to see. And I just didn't like the way they, they flew. And um, I've never never known anybody that had these iron wheels or anything like that. I've just I've just kind of seen them here and there. And I've just I've heard they were bulletproof. And I just thought that, you know, um, I just I didn't want any any chances of of me going out there and and hitting a, a rib or a shoulder or something like that and not being able to to, to you know uh, cleanly harvest an animal because of not doing my research for broadheads. I thought it was pretty important to have a good solid broadhead um, yeah. and a good sharp broadhead. So I went ahead and spent the money and they're expensive broadheads. Um, but I mean they're uh, I was you know practicing with them, practicing with them, and I, and I tuned my bow to the broadheads. And I told myself going up there that I wasn't going to shoot at anything past 40 yards. And, you know, whenever I started getting into the country I was in, I thought, well, that's, that's impossible to even get a shot at 40 yards anyway. So that made me more comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. um, just because I, you know, I practiced with those broadheads at that distance and closer and that was it. Um, and I just made sure that I was comfortable with that broadhead, the way it f- f- flew at 40 yards. Um, but, you know, even shooting it in my, in my targets and stuff like that at home, I mean, they would just, I couldn't believe the penetration. Um, so, you know, they sold me on that. So, which, like I said, that, that broadhead went through that elk like nothing. It actually went through his chest, um, and came out his hindquarter and hit that log and buried in that log. Like I said, 10 yards behind him. I mean, it was crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. So big aspect of this story that comes to play, cause obviously this happens early in the trip and, uh, you know, we, we could talk for another hour, but I want to be mindful of your time, but I want to make sure we cover taking care of the animal and you were facing some pretty warm conditions. Um, so begin to kind of walk us through ultimately how it worked, breaking down the elk, uh, packing out the elk, your concerns you ran into with that and how you kind of worked around it. Yeah. So broke down a lot of animals in my life. So, um, started, you know, after everything, adrenaline wore off and everything, I enriched my wife, told her what was going on. And then, uh, you know, I told her, I said, I'm not gonna be able to talk. I said, I gotta get this elk out here. So when it comes down to it, the most important parts to meet, right. That's why I, that's why I went up there is because I wanted, I wanted that, you know, I wanted that feeling of that hindquarter on my back so bad, you know, I craved it. <laughs> um, and, uh, boy, I got, I got what I wanted. That's for sure. Cause, um, I took me about a total of about two hours to break this thing down. And it was, I mean, it was, like I said, I shot him, I think like a 10 20. Um, so, you know, by the time I got him broke down, you know, it was, um, you know, it was probably around one o'clock, something like that. I started packing them out and it was, it was hot, hot. Um, so I knew about a mile away, there was a Creek and there was a cool spot. Um, and I kind of had in my head that I'm going to get everything to that spot today. Um, and I'm going to try to get one, at least something out to the truck. Right. Um, but I started packing that thing out and getting into the Creek and, and it was just, I mean, I, I it was brutal. <laughs> it was just that first jaunt up that, you know, by the time I got up to that top after that first deep climb, I was just, I was smoked. Um, so I got almost all of them up to that spot. I made a, a makeshift meat pole, um, had it hanging and thought, okay, it was, it was starting to get, you know, about five o'clock, five 30. I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna try to get back to the truck before dark. And, um, you know, I got to run to town to get ice, which is like a two hour drive, um, off the mountain. And, and maybe, you know, I can, I knew there was an outfitter in the area that was bear hunting. I thought, maybe, and I, I just knew of the name of them. Um, but I thought maybe I could give them a call and they could help me out. I don't know. So 
by the time I got everything, I got everything cut up and, and staged and uh, hung up and cooling. And I knew it was supposed to be down in the mid forties at night. So I was comfortable with it. Um, I just took a shoulder and um, just some, some loose meat out <clears throat> and left everything, you know, at the Creek and got it out. And by the time I got to the truck, I was, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty messed up. You know, I was, I was hurting pretty bad. Um, That's a good way to put it. I was pretty messed up. <laughs> I was, but I didn't want to say the other word. Um, <laughs> But that's why I told my wife when I got on the phone with her later at night. But um, and, the, and the thing, too, is I went in with just an algae bottle, which worked out great. And I got the little Sawyer squeeze that those things are awesome. Um, and there was two creeks that I crossed to get back to the truck. And I don't know what I would have done without those creeks, um, because, I mean, I was very, very dehydrated. It was it was upwards. It was almost 95. Degrees. Um, so by the time I got back to the truck, I was extremely dehydrated. Um, and then, you know, then. I'm, I'm heading back to town and, and uh, by the time I get back to town, it's almost nine o'clock, nine 30. And I thought, well, I'm just going to get a hotel room and try to regather myself. And in the morning, I'm going to try to get hold of this outfitter and, and hope that they can give me a hand. Right. Um, because I looked at the temperature the next day and it was supposed to be like 98. I mean, it was just crazy hot. Um, so anyways, next morning I get a hold of this outfitter, um, very nice woman. And she's like, well, sorry, you know, she's like, but we got, we're taking bear hunters up the mountain this morning and, and we don't have any, we don't have anything available. So no, that's no big deal. I, said, I just want to make sure the meat don't spoil. Like I'll get it out. I was just worried about, um, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to get it all, all out that same day. It was going to take me several trips, right? Cause there's just so much that they're so big, no big deal. So, um, just mentally prepared myself just to do it, you know, go back there, you know, you're up here to get the job done. You need to get the meat out and get it safe. So <clears throat> I iced down my coolers, get back up to the trailhead and, um, Right where I parked, for some reason, the day before, I didn't get any service there. And I I'm, I had a, like one bar of service and uh, I'm packing up and I, my phone vibrates and I get a message. I'm like, okay, that's weird. So I look at my phone and it's a voicemail. It's this outfitter. And she had called me almost an hour ago and she said, hey, uh, the bear hunters don't want to go. It's too hot. We, you know, we can send up two horses if you, you know, let us know where you're at. So I scrambled to get a hold of her and got a hold of her and, uh, she said, drop me a waypoint. So I dropped her waypoint and they ended up coming, I think nine miles up the Canyon from where their camp was at. Um, but you know, I told them I still had meat down in my staging area. I had to get, you know, or I still had meat above the kill site. I had to get to my staging area, which was about a mile. So they gave me a little time. I hiked back in there. Um, and I got back down to where I had, uh, the hindquarter and, um, other hindquarter and head and stuff like that. And I got it to the staging area and I had to go down and get, had it all hung up, had to go down and get one more hindquarter. Um, and I was trying to message them off inReach, but for some reason, my inReach, I was sending messages, but I wasn't getting any back. Um, and I found out later why that was, but um, I went down to get the last hindquarter and I was coming back up and I get back to my staging area where the meat was hung and it was all gone and there was horse tracks there. So I've never met these people. We didn't talk about a price, um, nothing. So I'm like, well, you know, here we go. <laughs> so I, took the other hindquarter out. Well, I, I stopped at that spot to get water, ate something. Cause by this point in time, again, it was, you know, one or two o'clock in the afternoon. It, it took so long to get it to that point. Um, and I, de I went ahead and deboned that hindquarter and, uh, that took quite a bit of weight out, you know, so deboned it and threw it in my pack and, and, and headed out. And, uh, by the time I got back to the truck, it was probably, I think four thirty five o'clock that afternoon. Um, didn't have any service at the truck because I was going to call them and let them know, but I had no service. I have no idea why I had that one bar 
but man, what a lifesaver that was. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. And so loaded everything up, went back down the mountain to where I got, I didn't even know where their main outfitter, I didn't know where they were based out of. Um, I just seen the sign on the road. So I got to where I got service and called them and they're like, yeah, like we got it back here. And this is where we're at. We went ahead and threw it in the deep freezer because, you know, it's almost 100 degrees by the time we got back. And it was on the side of the horses and blah, blah, blah. So get up there to where their outfitter camp was. And there it was, you know, um, um, very, very nice people. And uh, um, ended up talking to them. And I said, well, you know, what do I owe you for this? And they're like, oh, we only took two horses. How's $200 sound? Yeah, I gave him $300, you know, and I said, that was, that's, that's worth every penny right there. And, uh, and she's like, well, I kind of felt bad for you because normally she said, we get these archery elk hunters, they get a, a bull on the ground and they don't realize what they're up against. And we kind of let them, you know, chew on it. And I, I laughed, I laughed and I said, well, I appreciate that. She's like, yeah, but a hundred degrees. She's like, that's a little different story. I'm like, well, I really appreciate that. I said, I, you know, I didn't, it was my fault. You know, I didn't do my research. I should have, um, you know, I should have called ahead and, and just planned on if I had an animal on the ground to get it out there quickly, because I don't know that I would, I wouldn't have got it out until the next day. And I don't know sitting in that heat all day that it would have been good. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it worked out. So, you yeah. know, and, and I'm glad it worked got it all off the mountain and, and, you know, and then it was just a totally another different high after that. You know? So that's great. Did you, um, we always get the question too. So I'm just thinking of, of, things listeners will be thinking at this point how did you manage getting all that meat home so did you just have plenty of cooler space did you do dry ice regular ice just hit that real quick yeah um <clears throat> regular ice but um uh i had uh yeah two well three big coolers um that i brought with me which i'm glad i did i mean you really don't realize how much meat comes off them things you know and i i took my time and got all of it off you know um so i, I mean i had a lot a lot of meat like unbelievably <laughs> a lot of meat but i'm uh yeah, I, I uh, iced it down. Um, so after I got done with the outfitter, I went back into town. It was so hot um, that in town, I, it, I I drove five or six different gas stations and none of them had any ice. Um, so finally, I'd found one that they had just got a delivery of ice, got everything iced down. Um, and like I said, luckily, the outfitter threw it in the freezer for me. So I had that cold on it, you know, and it was still cool from the night before hanging above that creek. I mean, that was that was critical for me finding that spot above that Creek in the shade like that. I don't mm-hmm. know that it would have lasted that first day. Um, so that, that was very critical. And I just picked that up just from, you know, little nuggets here and there, listening to podcasts and watching videos and I, it worked perfectly, but I'm um, uh, iced it down and then went and got a hotel. I drove, you know, two or three hours that night, picked up a hotel room and I could hardly walk. Um, um, of course the elevators won't work in the hotel room. I had to walk up the stairs and I, I could barely get up the stairs. My calves were on fire. Um, um, but yeah, anyways, the next day, same thing. Um, woke up in the morning, I checked everything. I re-iced it, uh, drained all the water out, re-iced it, closed them up and just left them closed all the way home. Um, the only thing I didn't have ice on was the head and in hindsight, um, you know, I skinned that head out in the field and did the best I could, I could, but I was, I was kind of in a rush to start getting meat packed out that I left the bottom jaw on and stuff like that. And it was super heavy. And I should have cleaned that all up when I got back to the hotel room that first night and I didn't. So by the time I got home to Missouri, meat was fine. The ice was actually frozen. You know, it was ice cold and the head was starting to get a little stinky, but everything worked out perfect. Yeah. That's great, man. It's a awesome story. I know that, uh, listeners will both enjoy it as well as I'm hoping that there's some guys here in this who will uh, 
kind of have the confidence to get out and get after it, even if they have to do it solo. Uh, already covered so much good information, but is there anything that comes to mind as uh, we let you go of kind of words to uh, words to the audience? Maybe something we didn't cover that's on your mind. Um, I mean, just, it, you know, there's, there was a million different reasons of why not to go um, out and do it. And uh, you, there's, people get wrapped up in a lot of negative stuff on social media and stuff like that. You just got to go do it for yourself. Um, you know, do the research, find a unit, don't depend on anybody else. Just, um, it's just such more, you know, there's such more gratification in that whenever you pick out a unit, you go and you do it, you're successful. And, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta learn how to do a little bit of everything, but, um, you're never, you're never going to get the full experience until you just go do it. Whether you, you know, if you go out there with the, with, uh, you know, looking at it is I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on this mountain and I'm gonna give it my all. Then you won right there already. You know, I mean, like that's what I was gonna do. I had every intention of going out there and hunting for six or seven days and coming back with an elk, not coming back with an elk. I didn't care. But out of all my friends, I was the only one doing it at the time. So I just wanted to go up there and get the experience and um, all my scouting and research and everything paid off and gear. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, you just gotta just do your due diligence and just, uh, just go pick up a tag and do it. It's really, it's really, it's intimidating at first, but, um, you gotta be safe about it, obviously. And you gotta make sure that your family and everything's good. And, and, uh, you know, you can take the time off and do it and, you know, don't, don't go bankrupt doing it. But, um, it's just that after, if you go with that first initial hump, um, man, it's just, it's, it's awesome. Awesome experience all around, no matter what. Um, it's just the, the, the fact that I get to come home with a bull, you know, and, and I know I'm going to go up there every year with just this experience and probably not going to kill an elk every year, you know, but I'm going to go up there every year, exactly the same going, I'm coming back with meat, whether it's a cow, whether it's a bull, I'm just going up there to hunt. Um, so, and yeah, that's it. I mean, it's just, just got to pull the bandaid off and, and pick out a, a state and a unit and just go there and, and see what it's like. Perfect. Great way to cap it. Appreciate your time and sharing the story. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You did it right. Like you just you checked every freaking box and were methodical about it. And yeah, I think you did a hell of a job. It takes a lot of time. I'm already, you know, I've been planning for uh next year since I got back from this year. You know, I mean, it's just it never ends. It's a it's a one, it's it's 365 days a year. And now that I've experienced, I mean, I I I go to sleep every night dreaming about going elk hunting. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> the addiction you get from it. It's, it's, it's insane. Um, yeah. And uh, every single day, at least one point in time of the day, I am looking at something you have to do with uh, planning for you know, next year's elk hunt. Uh, That's cool. So, yeah. Well, there you have it guys. Such a cool hunt and a cool story. And thanks again, Jared, for sharing it with us. As always, if you're enjoying the show, be sure to share it with a friend, leave a review if you can, or reach out to us with an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and let us know what you would like to hear on future episodes. We'll talk to you soon.